Welcome to Barbell Buddha Rediscovered. This is episode 73 called, What Would Joe DeSena Do? Today we're going to talk about strength training, what Chris learned after returning from a conference hosted by the one and only Joe DeSena, creator of the Spartan Race. And we have an amazing clip of Chris reflecting on the humble origins of Barbell Shrugged. I'm finishing my second cup of coffee and it is time to start the show. Right now. She said. What's up, everybody? That's a little inner poll to start the show with a song called All the Rage Back Home. It's good to be back with you, got to say. Been doing a little traveling. I had uh, an opportunity to visit a friend of mine at his lake house in Virginia. I took the podcasting gear, but I was having such a good time that I never even thought about trying to capture the scene on the microphone. It's just one of those weekends. Not only did I have an opportunity to hang out with some of the dopest humans in the health and fitness game right now, which include you know, Mark England, the host. He's partners with Mike Bledsoe in their coaching certification company uh, called Enlifted. I also had a chance to close some networking loops, which was awesome, getting to meet some of the fine gentlemen from Alpha Hippie, which is a relatively new podcast and community designed to teach men how to, as they would say, live courageously. It's led by guys like Ryan Buschettini, Marcus Gerzi, and uh, Angelo Sisko, who's been a CrossFit owner for a long time. You might have heard his name come in and out of there. Same with Marcus. I definitely and highly recommend you go give them a follow. I've been tracking Angelo and Marcus over the years, so it was good to finally meet him in person. <clears throat> what do we do? Well, I'm going to tell you about it because it is actually fueled and already rekindled, but it, it has refueled my training pursuit. I want to be strong. I want to feel strong. And honestly, I'm ready to get back to dosing some, I don't even think this is a word, but uncomfortability back into my life. Just dosing it back in. And it all started when Mark decided, uh, because he knows I have a history in martial arts, that we were going to spar. And not just in front of any of the guests at the lake house, but in front of his entire Instagram audience, live no less. And he put it in the public text that it was going down, so it he, he directed me to bring my gear. It was on. It was out in the public. There was no going back. And this is where it gets interesting because Mark is known in our circles as a language expert. He has a product called Procabulary that pre-existed his relationship to Bledsoe here, and he spent many, many years working on his craft. 
he has <laughs> he has such a single point of focus this guy uh, in his work that he wears a badge of honor that he calls being a one trick pony and he wears it proudly a one trick pony but in a previous chapter of his life Mark was actually a very seasoned and talented Muay Thai kickboxer, among other things. He wrestled some, probably did some jiu-jitsu, definitely been in some bar fights in his day, I imagine. So he was so good, actually, that he opted to move to Thailand to pursue being a full-time pro. Now, just take my word for it. Having had a few sparring sessions in Thailand myself with some savage kickboxers, you don't go to Thailand unless you intend to be an assassin in the ring, okay? And that was Mark. At least it was Mark back in the day. Now, having been on a pro track myself back in 2009, I was sparring with some assassins, training with some assassins, and if it weren't for the fact that I intended to go to graduate school, I probably would have stayed on that track. So I knew that despite our ages, you know, we've been out of the game for a little bit, I was still going to need to come in with my head on straight, okay, lest I, ne- lest I get it knocked clean off. You know what I'm saying? This pressure alone, the idea that I might be able to get my head knocked off, it's enough to get the hairs on your neck standing up, dude. You know, you don't want to just casually walk in with a guy that can put you on your butt, man. It's not cool. And so, sure enough, we did six, six two-minute rounds. Now, that may not sound like an, a lot some of you – fitness heads out there, but trust me, there's a big difference between six two-minute rounds of, say, uh, air dining and thrusters or whatever else you're into these days and actually fighting (laughs) another human being, okay? We both landed some significant strikes, mostly leg kicks, but by the end, I was, like, pushed to the edge for the first time in a long time, and it felt great, man. I don't know. It was like I got out of kickboxing because I was tired of getting kicked in the head, punching the head on a regular basis, but something about doing it in this sense just once was so invigorating. Like I said earlier, uh, I was at the lake house, so after uh, after the sparring session, I was like really, I don't want to say over overheated, but I was, I was super uh, uh, jacked up, right? And so he's on the lake. The lake was a chilly 50 or so degrees. So the first thing I did after the sparring session was to go and dip into the lake to cool off. And this is where it's, you know, starts to get interesting because that was like a big thing for me to get into cold water. It's like I've done some cold dunks. I've done things, you know, cold exposure, but every single time, I mean, like my body just hates being submerged in cold water. Some people... They don't mind it so much. My body hates it. But Mark, this dude, doesn't matter. He goes out as part of his daily routine, and that's like the first thing he does every day. He just does a cold dip. And not just like, I'm going to dip my waist in. The dude does a cannonball into a 50-degree lake every day. Okay? Every day. No matter the temperature, as far as I can tell, Mark's first action of the day is to walk out to the lake, shirtless, jump in, swim around for a few minutes, and then he gets out and starts his day. And, you know, being a person that hates the cold dips and the showers and the plunges, you name it, my brain will say anything to talk me out of it. And I got to say, I learned a lot from those four days at the lake house because I, I, I opted in to Mark's morning routine. He invited everyone along. 
hop in the lake, warm up, get some coffee, get your day started. And the first thing that I learned is that even though I uh, knew what I was getting into, I I would try to talk myself out of it every day. Like, it, it didn't get easier in that way. It's not like my mind stopped talking to me. In fact, knowing, the knowing that I'm going to do it sometimes makes it even harder. Um, but even though it doesn't go away, that voice, over time, I've learned, based on Mark's example, that you can learn to give that voice less influence over your response, what you're going to do, uh, the more you start to practice it. Which is why Mark, who spends his life now as an expert on internal and external dialogue and what that means for your reality, that's why he's able to jump into that lake every day. It's not that he doesn't hear that voice. It's that he's trained himself not to respond to that voice, to that instinct, to avoid discomfort. The second thing I learned is that even though I knew I was going to be terribly uncomfortable, I also knew that I was going to feel great afterwards. And that's the funny thing is that even though I'm no, even though I know that afterwards I'm going to feel great, it still isn't enough reward, I guess, to ward off this doubt and fear that I have beforehand. And this is really where we're going to start to talk about training because that voice in our head, it creeps into our training as well. And anything that makes us uncomfortable, really, but especially training. You're going to hear Chris mention something later to this effect in the show because he's going to be talking about a guy named Tony the Fridge. And if you saw the Barbell Shrugged episode with Tony the Fridge, you'll you immediately remember. This is not one of those things you can forget. I encourage you to even, if you haven't, go to YouTube at some point after finishing the show and watch the Barbell Shrugged episode about Tony the Fridge. So Tony's, the question that is brought up is how do, we, how do we balance ignoring that voice in our head but also not thrashing your body in the process? This is something that I struggled with in CrossFit or in training in general. It's like I didn't want to be mentally weak, but I also, if I, if I ignored it for too long, like I was going to feel really poor and my, my performance and, and my emotional health, it was all going to suffer. So I'm, I'm like, I have this uh, history, and I'm, I, I need some tools here. And I read a chunk from Jocko Willink's Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual, and he actually gives a great little pearl in there about rest days and about mind chatter, okay? Because his angle in that book is also to discuss this mind chatter. So we got Mark bringing it to my attention with the kickboxing and the cold plunges and things, that mental chatter, trying to talk myself out of it. Then I get Chris talking about it with Tony the Fridge, and then I recently come across the Jocko thing, and Jocko had such a great little nugget. It was basically his advice was this. Don't listen to that voice on day one and see what happens. So like the first day you've been training for a while and and you start dragging, you think maybe about skipping a training day, maybe skipping your exercise routine. It doesn't even have to be strength training. You're thinking about skipping that thing that you're doing. You could be learning music, you could be writing, whatever, right? You get that inclination to just, eh, we're going to skip that day. Maybe I need a rest day. Maybe I need a day off. His advice is to don't listen to that voice on the first day. Do the thing you were going to do, the workout, even if it means doing less of it, 
and then just wait and see how you respond tomorrow because one of two things is going to happen. You're going to feel the same or worse. That's the first thing that could happen. You feel about the same as you felt the day before or worse. And in that case, you take a rest day. But if you feel better, if you're somehow improved, then you're back on track. It was just a small little variation that didn't need to be given too much credence. That's been relevant for me personally because I've been experimenting with my own training and exercise. My biggest interest is in raising my baseline personally. And Chris talks a lot about his training to the same effect in this episode. So if you want to hear that also, go check out the first half of this episode for Chris, number 73, What Would Joe DeSena Do? But my interest is in raising my baseline, which to me is what I have available to, uh, what I have available at any moment. Now, if my norm is experiencing lower back pain, slight fatigue, and it takes me 20 to 30 minutes to, to get warmed up for even basic exercise, well, that's my baseline. And I personally don't care at this stage in my life what my top numbers are because that's not feeling that lower back pain and that being fatigued and needing 20 to 30 minutes to get warmed up. That is not the baseline or the quality of life that I want to live. And that's what my baseline is, really, or your baseline. It's your quality of life. So when I say to myself, how can I improve my baseline? What I'm really asking myself is how can I improve my quality of life? And that's one thing that Chris harped on and one nugget that I pulled from a book that I've been reading called Manthropology. Chris was talking about the importance of engagement or frequency. Chris called it frequency. The Manthropologist uh, book, I think his, his name is Peter McAllister. He's an anthropologist. He wrote this book, and he used the word engagement. And what both of them say is that a simple way to improve your strength and therefore your quality of life is to engage in basic activity more frequently. That could be taking short walks, five to ten minutes, more often throughout your day. Hell, you can even march in place if you need to. If you're tight, maybe stretch and, and, and reach, move your body more frequently but with less intensity. Engage those parts of you more often just with less intensity. If you want to add strength, Chris would say engage with heavy objects more frequently. If you want to improve your running, I've even found this to be true. Run less distance more frequently at first. You can start to accrue lots of good miles under your heels without having to push your body all that much. And over time, you're going to build that base of capacity that if you do want to, say, put that running together for two to five straight hours instead of those 15-minute chunks broken up throughout the day, you can improve it without having to try to increase your top numbers or increase your top distance. Practice moderate numbers in strength or moderate distances more often. You'll need much less recovery time that will allow you to engage with it more frequently. And that is, to me, where I'm at right now, that's what I understand in my mind. And I'm, I've 
finally feel like I'm applying it correctly. I'm, a, I'm applying this idea of engagement more correctly in my training. Okay, so here's an overview of what I'm personally doing. It's a little techie training talk here, but I'll try to make it very applicable to anything. Again, the point is to start with something that you can engage with more frequently and slowly start to build out from there instead of trying to get a lot of uh, intense bouts of something instead of working out for one straight hard hour, my suggestion would be to do uh, 15 minutes twice a day and over the week you're going to get more done than just doing three uh, straight solid hours and taking the rest off. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So what I did is I picked two main movements that I feel like cover the big blocks of how I want to be strong. Okay, I want to be able to do Things that I would encounter in my daily life, picking something up, moving it, um, putting something up on a shelf, getting up and down off the ground. These are things that matter to me, pressing things, pulling things, that sort of stuff. So I have two main movements that I do. The first one are sandbag squats. And I, the thing is I always have to pick it up from the ground. So because I have to pick the sandbag squat up off the ground, and I'm not pulling it out of, out of a rack, so to speak, I'm also getting a simultaneous dose of deadlifting. So I don't really have to add a lot of deadlifting style to my workout because it's already built in. And I'm doing it frequently because I have to pick the sandbag up multiple times in a week, so I don't actually have to add anything extra. I pick the sandbag up, and I do my squats, and I'll carry it around for a little bit, okay? Very simple. Just pick up the bag, squat the bag, maybe walk with a bag, and that's it. That's the first thing. And the second thing is I'm doing Turkish get-ups, where you take a weight from the ground to a standing position and back down to the ground. But one thing I do to add a combination to get more out of the workout is I'll add a press as soon as I get all the way to the top. So I start at the bottom, I do my Turkish get-up, I sit up, I get all the way to a standing position nice and patiently, and then once I'm there, I add a press and then I work my way back down to the floor. So I'm getting a ton of accessory stuff as well as overall strength because getting up and down with a heavy weight is very challenging and taxing on both your strength, your flexibility, and your motor control because you have to be able to assume certain positions. So my commitment to myself to get that frequency was I was committed to just doing 10 heavy reps three times a week. 10 heavy reps three times a week. Very simple. Each day has a slightly different format. Five sets, three sets, 10 sets, whatever. But all the workouts are exactly 10 reps. I just picked that. It was ar not exactly arbitrary. It's enough to get a dosing in. But I know that if I, do, uh, if, if I can do 10 regularly, I'll feel good. That's just personal experiment. So I do 10 reps of each combo movement three times a week. And honestly, after my warm-up, which shouldn't be all that much, 5, 10 minutes, this workout's meant to be done, this work, in 30 minutes or less. If it takes me longer than 30 minutes, I've found personally, if I spend more time doing uh, strength training than 30 minutes three times a week, I'm going to not be able to recover. I lose my ability to be able to recover from that. So I found something that I know I can recover from. No question about it. So the trick is that I use the same equipment each time. I started with a 140-pound sandbag and a 44-pound kettlebell. So when I first started, I recorded the time it took me to complete the workout, 
and this becomes my baseline or my quality of life. I can do these tasks in 20 or 30 minutes. Okay. Now, each workout, since it was going to take 20 or 30 minutes, I told myself that if I look up and I'm now able to complete that same amount of work that was taking me 20, 30 minutes in 10 to 12 minutes with a moderately low level of fatigue, I knew I was getting stronger and I was ready to move up. It's that simple. I don't have to add weight. Adding and doing it in a shorter amount of time, I could do the work, work more quickly. It tells me that I'm getting stronger. Why 10 to 12 minutes? Well, that's just what I picked. It's just an experiment. I'm, I'm seeing how this is going. But what I can tell you so far is that even though I don't know my max capacity, cutting my work time in half clearly means that I've adapted to the task and have gotten stronger. I'll add the weight necessary to get my work time back to, 10, back to that 20 or 30 minute range. So now I'll, I'll practice a new set until I can get it down to 10 to 12 minutes. And since I've been working on this for mm, about three months, I'm already using the 180-pound uh, bag and 70-pound bell on my singles days. I've been using the 140 more frequently, and it's getting faster, and I've increased my press weights up to 53-pound on some days, 70 on the other, and I still use the 44. So my point is, is I've just been tinkering with my workouts to add that little bit of difficulty to where I need about 20 or 30 minutes to complete the workout with good mechanics. I practice it until it's so ingrained it is so i just part of who i am that i can do the work in 10 to 12 minutes now the thing is is that the time that's needed to adapt to the heavier weights that's going to vary over time making the jump from 44 to 53 is probably going to happen sooner than your ability to go from say 70 to 80 even though the jump is about the same the time that it takes you to adjust to these heavier weights will vary over time. But the more frequently I engage with these heavy weights, the more frequently I engage with the thing that I want to be better at, insert being a better parent, insert being a better musician, insert being a better artist, the more often that I engage, the more frequently I engage with this task, the more I raise my baseline and thereby my quality of life. You can apply this to practically anything. I intend to do so, and I also intend to share how that experiment evolves over time. If you're a man and you want more conversations about strength, about lifestyle, cooking, coffee, language, beer, you name it, you can join my free Slack community called Manthropology, which was inspired by the book, and that link will be in the show notes. It was fun. I hadn't talked training in quite a bit. I hope you got a lot out of that. The first clip I have for you is Chris reflecting on his time when he got to reconnect with Joe DeSena. Now, to set this up, the guys of Barbell Shrug, they didn't exactly know that they had been invited to a what amounted to be a closed door invite only conference of leaders gathered personally by Joe DeSena to I imagine to combat the general health crisis of childhood morbidity obesity and other complications due to these types of uh, I guess you would say diseases 
Little did they know, though, the Barbell Shrug boys were about to meet some people that would absolutely blow them away and add some fuel to their flame. These shows were different than other Barbell Shrug shows in that they didn't actually seek out these guests. And Chris is going to tell you in a bit about a guy named Tony the Fridge and what he learned from that encounter. So what I'll do is I'm going to put Chris on, and in seven minutes we'll chat more on the other side. The last show I'll tell you about, the last show, was with a guy called Tony the Fridge. So I've given you a lot of calls to action tonight so far, I think, at least two do this but here's a third thing to do go to google and you or youtube either one search tony the fridge and just be amazed at this guy we got a chance to meet tony so he's again part of the 431 project joe found out about this guy and has brought him over because he's going to do this amazing thing so let me tell you about tony you're going to hear all about him in a very powerful way on barbell shrugged um, in the next month i don't know quite when we'll get to that show but it's going to be amazing so Tony the Fridge <laughs> is a guy, man, he's the only guy who's ever, ever, ever left all three of us speechless on that show. And that's the truth. I could barely pull out just one or two just comments or questions the whole time he was talking. He's a guy who's lost, I think, 38 family members to cancer. 38, including his father. Well, not his father. His father died in a car accident, if I'm recalling correctly. But 38 family members to, to due to one, um, as he would call it, just uh, completely demonic, cancerous, or you know, of course, cancerous. But this completely destructive force in the world has taken 38 people he loves away from him, and the way he's just decided to act and to push back against this and sort of tell this thing to go fuck itself. <laughs> he's got a great Scottish accent too. I'll maybe show you a little bit of that. Um. Say so the thing he could do is is to do marathons, but not just any kind of fucking marathon, man. To do it carrying a refrigerator, like no shit. It's he's got logos and stuff on it, whatever. But he straps it up and he runs. He went across the United Kingdom, and then later on this year he's gonna go all the way across the United States. So one thing we're gonna do, we might run with him. Hopefully we'll get the chance to run with him a little bit. Even yes, I'm saying that. But we're gonna call on CrossFit gyms all along the path. We'll do. We'll help to publicize his his trajectory, whatever you know, his, where he's gonna cross. And we'd really love to see CrossFit gyms in those areas on that line come out and help support Tony as he goes for this monumental fucking challenge, man. Um, I think he said I don't I don't have the numbers right, but he said running across the United Kingdom was basically everything he had. He thought he'd die at the end of it. It was he deemed it impossible. He survived some way, even with a broken femur. He. He made it all the way through. It's really intense to even think about. But this journey is like three times as long. And he's saying up front, like, I don't know, man. Like, everything says it won't be done. But um, he wants to get all the way to California. I forget the location, but there's a lake. And we will meet him there. Uh, it was a favorite lake of one of his uncles who came to the United States, started the business, did very well for himself, had a lot of great years in California. Before... Uh, succumbing to fucking cancer. So Tony plans to get all the way across the United States, get to that lake, you know, put the fucking fridge in there for good as a tribute to him and swim it and, and, and say that, that his journey was done. So we're going to support him doing that. But what I want to share with you now is actually a little thing I got on my phone. So 
if you go to Joe's place, one thing you're going to do is you're going to get your fucking ass up at 5 a.m., right? And you're going to climb the mountain behind his house. And even if you were me and CTP, you're going to do that after we had we were up till. Do we stay up? We, dude, we stay up way too late all the time on that show. I'll give you a little behind the scenes. So the toughest time for us is the night before we all got to leave. Because the last year, we haven't really been in Memphis all at the same time. You know, it's been a lot of travel. And of course, now <clears throat> we're in various stages of moving and we're distracted from each other sometimes. And we'll get the chance to spend as much time with each other as we want. Not even close to it. So when we get a chance, we soak it up and we, we do work still. Like CTP and I were editing and writing for the show to be published the night after or the day after. But the whole time we're just talking shit and catching up. But we go to bed at 1.30 a.m. and get up at 5 a.m. because you got to climb the mountain, man. You don't want to miss that. Uh, that said, it's hard as fuck. Because, <laughs> like, you, I mean, you do a little jogging, maybe do like 100, 200, 300 burpees if Joe feels like it, and you climb that mountain, then you're going to, it's it's tall enough to where halfway through you're like, <gasps> And you, your thoughts like boom, boom. Your heart's just fucking thumping in the back of your strand. Bang, 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 bang. Super fucking tough. But not so tough you can't do it. And not so tough that you could really get up it quicker if you just try. It's a perfect mountain. You know, right when you think of the last steps of the hill, you're like, okay, another five minutes, I'll be bitching and whining. But you get there just in time and you get to see an amazing sunset or the sunrise, rather, over the green mountains there in Vermont and a just sort of an ocean of low lying fog that makes it look like. Well, an ocean, <laughs> but just gorgeous beyond all measure. And then while we we're up there, <clears throat> I, I asked Tony about something he said the night before, but it repeats in such a perfect way. This is just a minute of video, but I pulled the audio off my iPhone and I'm going to inject it here now. I hope you enjoy it. This is me asking at the top of that mountain, Tony, what do you think about people who, who think they've got a reward or they deserve something when they've accomplished something? So check this out, man. So what was that line? What, was, what, what did you tell the voice in your head when it gets to blabbering on about what, what reward you deserve and what you can and can't do? Yeah, well, I just tell it to shut up. You know? <laughs> I just log it away. I don't have that in a conversation. Yeah. You know, the, 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 uh, I don't need any, anybody to tell me I'm doing well going up the hill. You know, I don't need to celebrate it. It's done. The only thing you think at the top of a hill that back, Johnny, close the door. is <laughs> next hill, isn't it? Mm. You don't need to celebrate it. Yeah, man, what do you think about that? <laughs> you want to hear Joe Desina in the background not fucking around with those kids. You got three seconds. Three, two, one, act right now. But Tony the fucking fridge, he told this story. CTP's got it on camera. It's going to be like sort of spiced into the episode about what you tell the voice in your head. He says you got to be very careful that that voice that goes, you deserve this. You did it, man. Fuck yeah. You be very careful feeding that voice because the same voice is going to tell you what you deserve. Like, oh, you don't have to worry about doing it again. You already did it. Like, take it easy. Like, you know, lay back, have a pizza or some shit. Like, not when you plan on doing it when you're not supposed to be doing it. That same voice will pull you. And the same voice will tell you when you're not good enough to fucking do what you want to do. And he had this fucking dramatic moment, man. He raises his fist. He goes, when you hear that voice in your fucking head, you tell it, shut the fuck up. That's enough of you. That's like one tenth of the intensity, but it's right there. It's what he just showed you in that video. It's like there are going to be times where shit is really tough, and that's that's fine. But to to have the fortitude to tell the voice in your head that you've heard it and it's it's time to shut the fuck up is super intense. It's super awesome. I can't wait for you to see that show. You're gonna lose your fucking mind. I have to imagine that meeting a person like Tony and 
in person must have had an incredibly invigorating effect on Chris's spirit. How I mean, how could you not be motivated by a strong-willed Scotsman who literally carried a refrigerator on his back across the United Kingdom and who intended to do the same thing across the U.S.? So the question is, is what can we take from this clip and this experience and this encounter and carry it forward? Well, we're going back to where we started, which is I encourage you to simply watch that voice inside your head. What you'll find very quickly is that it never actually stops, but instead goes through peaks and valleys of volume and how much you can hear it. The second thing you'll notice is that that voice will argue both sides. It will tell you what it likes, it dislikes, uh, what you should have done, what you shouldn't have done, what you deserve, what you didn't, didn't, uh, you know, what you shouldn't have had, anything to keep talking. So the question is, is what function could this possibly serve, this voice in our head? Well, it's an evolved protection mechanism that now rarely applies in our daily lives, which is originally to protect ourselves from physical harm. Since we rarely encounter physical danger, we now begin to perceive things as dangerous, cook up a really convincing story about it, but in reality, it isn't, or at least is a very low risk of being physically dangerous. The next part is that I encourage you to practice brushing that voice in your head aside as soon as you notice that it's ramped up. Simply say, thank you. Or in <laughs> Tony the Fridge's case, you tell it to shut the fuck up. Go back to what you're committed to. Find the thing you'd carry your fridge for. That's where you'll find those hidden almost superhero-like powers rise up inside you. And then, like Bukowski said in Roll the Dice, you'll be alone with the gods. Now that is powerful. Our next clip, coming in at around seven and a half minutes, is such a pearl. It's Chris reflecting on the beginning of this journey and all that's changed since the humble origins of Barbell Shrugged. And this is coming on the heels of Mike's announcement of their big move out to the West Coast. Chris played that uh, motivational clip in his show, and he follows it up with this response, which is so heartfelt. Let's take a listen, and we'll catch up on the other side. Fuck, man. What a year, and what a thing to be a part of. Like Mike said in that video, this, this show did start as like we just me and him just sat in a coffee shop and he did a couple of things with Mike or with Doug rather. But I remember that first time sitting in Republic Coffee in Memphis, Tennessee on Walnut Grove with a fucking blue mic in front of us and a laptop and not a thing in the world to say and had our wives and shit and girlfriends saying, Who's listening to you assholes, man? Like what are you doing? <laughs> it was just stupid. That's what people say when anybody starts anything. It's just stupid and this won't work and this sure is a lot of effort. Wouldn't you just rather do any number of things that were more, more fun? Like, why won't you not stay up till? How about you not stay up to one o'clock tonight writing? Or do you guys really need to do and spend another Sunday morning filming podcasts? Yes, yes. That's what we always said. It was yes, we need to do this, and we just kept taking little baby steps for 
Three years, folks. Three years. That's not a small amount of time, but it's only the beginning still. But it's a good amount of time, and I guess it does get to be really intense when you think that every week, every day of those weeks for three years now, we've been taking those little baby steps. But here's what you can get towards if you do this. You can do things like take a little fucking bullshit hour-long recording in a coffee shop to idiots. You can get good enough to where people start listening, and then in three years' time, you can take a shot at, at making something real happen, which is what we're facing now. Like, we can now, with the people we know and the resources we have and the education we have and the, and the means we have to present people with, with products and information and shit, you know, we can launch an education platform. We can do awesome documentaries, which is one thing I really want to push and make a focus in 2015. I'm committed to doing some shows to really tell awesome stories that will allow you to get a sense of what really drives athletes and really why they're so great. Far less to do with what you think is the most important thing, like their fucking shoes or what training program they're doing. It's much more deeper. We're going to go full on Anthony Bourdain style those shows. More books, more more everything. We're going to push so hard. It's kind of shocking when I think when I look back on it. I mean, just this year for me, here we are staring down some more change. I wrote a book about change. That's going to come out. I'm getting pilot copies this Friday, man. I'm excited. We'll start seeing teasers. I've got to tease a little bit. I got to sell at least a few of them. Bear with me. But like, uh, I'm looking back on the last year. So the last October, I found out I was having a little girl. You know, now it's, uh, fuck, what is this month? It's almost October again. I've got like a little five-month-old little girl in my arms. It's fucking great, man. <clears throat> so intense. My son's turning three this month. It's usually my favorite month. Last year, I learned about my, my daughter coming, but then that year started last November. Like, lost my dad. The job I was working in, the mindset I had, and, like, the things I thought were important, the, the amount of my life I allowed a career to take out of me, and to still come up with the effort to do Bible Shrugged and to write books and shit at night. I got the, the those events all hitting together were enough to – almost to snap my mind man it was a tough fucking winter I, looking back i just don't know really what drew me through other than you know some power wanted me to continue or whatever you know i just i just kept going you just keep taking the fucking steps even though it's really fucking hard you just keep taking those steps and then to to be faced with a situation where like okay this this job is needed i've got a kid coming i've got two fucking kids and a wife that needs me but i've got this show <laughs> The show that's so important, you know, like Barbell Shrug is important to me. It's, 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 it's ours, man. It's, it's, we've, we've given birth to it and fought so hard for it. I was facing a situation where I didn't have like fucking enough vacation time and shit to keep going on the trips to get these interviews and stuff. I was put in a position where my, my family was very fragile and about to change and about to hit with a, a big stress, financial stress. And here I am in need of getting off this boat rapidly to, to, to save the show. I, I would be off of it if it wasn't for a bold move. The bold move was just to fucking quit. You know, to quit the fucking job. I've been talking about this lately with Mike. How so many people will, even during times as wild as mine, will go, you know what? Like, I just can't, man. Too much is at stake. And I, I hear you, man. I felt so so much fucking fear during that time that I was, what, what am I doing? That I know this is a dream, but how could I ask this to my family and put everybody at risk and shit? It was so crazy and maddening and the man anxiety you got to deal with at these times is so intense 
I hope I captured at least some of that and get changed because I think you got to be prepared for that. That sometimes it, when you go for your dream, especially when you cut the cord and get on the other side, there's some moments that are going to be scary as fuck. Like you, you think you know fear until you think you've put your family like in the crosshairs and shit. I mean, I've, I've felt what that's like. And, but luckily I was prepared and luckily I was committed and luckily I knew I would just fucking keep pushing my nose forward until something happened. And by the time, let's say that was April, by the time July got around. So there's some tough months. Let's keep treading water the best I can. <clears throat> but you get your momentum, man. You, you'd be surprised once you fucking burn your boat and you make it to where in order to do right by your family in order to make your dream happen and get the fucking really the dream gig going. You put all chips forward and you go for it. When you do make that commitment, you'd be surprised what you can get done. You'd be surprised how quickly you can gather your shit together. And that's what happened for me. Sooner than I thought, we started being able to grow Barbara Shrugged. We conceived those, those new programs, got them built, got them launched. And all of a sudden, on the other end of this fucking bleak, intense time, now we're, we're staring at this other big change. Like, if we can trust the move to venture west to where we can get bigger name uh, people on the show and we can engage more closely with business partners and all this shit, you know, all the reasons anybody would go westward, you know, American dream type shit. If we can do it, big things will happen. We can actually take these shows and make them super fucking legit and make, make it to where we can actually really reach out and, and get an audience together that can make change happen. Like Joe is trying to do. We can help keep spreading this fucking righteous word, but it takes the risk. You know, if you're not willing to fucking put the chips back in the table, these things can't happen. You got to fucking put skin in the game. And now that is for me to, to uproot my family from Memphis, the place we've always been. And to venture out westward to Encinitas, California. We're going to fucking do it because we mean business. We want to make the kind of changes we're talking about happen. We want to have a successful business. We want the, the goofy lifestyle that that affords us. Like being able to take trips and stuff and do cool shows for a living. But all that is to drive information back to the community. And if we can't fucking you know, do it in an ever improving way, we're not, we're not going to be very happy about it. That's our fucking goal. And we got, we're going to commit to this change because it's going to allow us to do a better job of it. That's where we stand. <clears throat> it really is crazy to think about how all of that unfolded. How a group of buddies could start something, pursue it week after week, and end up changing the landscape of what was possible for others in the fitness industry through media. I mean, what they were doing was, in simple terms, it was cool as shit, man. And it was cool because of who they were, not because of who they were trying to be. And that's where we always get in trouble, isn't it? Like, trying to be something? What can we do instead of that? Well, first, whatever you're going to do, like, you got to do it. And you got to do it because you love it not because of what you think you're going to get out of the deal in the end. All those guys wanted to do first was give information, and they, that's just because they loved it. It's who they were. The second is that you got to do it all out. Uh, no compromises, no letting that mind lull you back to sleep to convince you to take that extra day or to scare you off from doing something. No, we are going to do it all out because we want to make it better each time. And not because we have to, but just because we must. 
that inner urge to keep doing it. And that's the last thing. It's like we got to keep doing it for as long as it takes because we love it. Chris would probably tell you that you don't just stop being a parent when it doesn't feel good anymore, right? You do it because you love it, not because it's comfortable all the time, not because it's easy all the time. You do it all out because, you know, why not, man? You only have one shot at this life, and that's what we know for sure. And you keep doing it because that's what life is too. Things are happening with or without you. So it's 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 okay. Just take take the time to decide what you want, but then plant your fucking flag and take a stand. Say, I will do this because it's the work to be done. I aspire to do this myself. I hope you will as well, man. Now, I'm going to pass it back to Chris because, you know, he... He has a way, man. Only only he can close it like he does. So until next time, I want to say thank you. I love you. Everybody out there that's listening, I appreciate you. And I will be back with more Barbell Buddha Rediscovered soon enough. If you're interested in keeping up in the meantime, hit me up at Brooks Meadows on Instagram. Please, if you don't mind, leave a kind comment. Please rate this show five stars. Share it with somebody. Share it with somebody who needs it. And if you're a man out there and you are in need of support from other strong men, you want to get stronger, you want to feel better, you want to learn how to cook on a date night, you want to learn how to empower yourself with language, you're thinking about traveling because you've been cooped up, Hit me up on Instagram at Brooks Meadows. You can find my free Slack community link there. It's called Manthropology. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. Take it away, buddy. I'll close with something I'm going to read here. This is from a book. This is from a book. Edgar Allan Poe, The Fever Called Living by Paul Collins. This book is really excellent. Would I recommend it to everybody? Uh, Well, if you dig literature and you dig poetry and shit, yeah, if you have any interest at all in history and literary history, you think Edgar Allan Poe is interesting, you've read some quotes and shit of his, you should get it. It's really great. It's basically a very short, concise, very excellently well-read, or, sorry, well-written biography of Edgar Allan Poe, which seems overall to have been a miserable fucking dick most of his life. But one thing that's obvious is he kept, even though his life was so riddled with poverty and alcoholism and shit, and melancholy and despair at times and loss and all that. He's moody as fuck and there's reasons behind that. Read the biography, it's really great. But um, fuck man, to to think he kept going after his dream of being a writer the whole time and never stopped improving and kept trying to make it work says a lot about that guy. This little story from the book, I guess right after his first book came out, I think it's his Tamer Lane is the title, whatever. I'm gonna read this because I think it's, it, it's summarizes or sums up this attitude that we all got to fucking cultivate, right? Let me just read it, then I'll close with a little pithy comment and we'll get the fuck out of here. Tamerlane, imposed use of fictive tradition, now faces his deathbed. Oh, that's the character. This guy faces his deathbed, uh, regretting a life of ruthless conquest pursued at the expense of his young love. Quote, a kingdom for a broken heart. <laughs> the disastrous loss of youth lurks throughout the poem. I have not always been as now. This guy's pissed. He's sad. He's lost lots. Along with the relentless approach of mortality. And here's a little bit of this poem. Father, I do firmly believe. I know. For death who comes for me. From regions of the blessed afar. Where there is nothing left to deceive. Hath left his iron gate 
ajar. Ooh. I read that rather well. I thought I'd fuck it up. <laughs> but I didn't. How's that? Yet for many years, it was not just Life of Tamerlane and other poems itself. That's his book. That seemed to disappear throughout the Deathly Iron Gate. Poe's little book did not meet with a single review. So no one fucking read this thing. No one gave opinion. You know, the last thing you want as an artist, worse than critique, you, you, want, you, you don't want silence. That means no one fucking heard your voice, man. That sadness right there. Not a single review. Like many first works of poetry, it found only crushing silence. But for a miserable clerk in the Boston docks, eking out just enough money to print 50 anonymous copies. Damn. This may never have been the point. Whether the world at large recognized him or his work, something had changed inside the shifting identity of the fugitive Edgar Allan Poe. Something irrevocable. Irrevocable. Something that couldn't be reversed. <laughs> he was now an author. Think about that shit. This guy was terrible at it. <laughs> he was pathetic at it. But doing it, just fucking doing it, was enough of an act, like a, a demonstration to, to earth and all of heavens above you, that you were fucking so serious about this that you wanted to actually become it. Like that act led him on the path to being what he wanted to be, you know. And that's what we have to do. Whatever we think we can do. Like, you know, you want to be a, a legit high-level podcaster? Put yourself in a situation where you're going to be put to that test and trust that you usually come up to the challenge. You've been working for ages now to, to stand up to that challenge. you got to trust that you will meet the challenge and you will make that shit happen, but you got to put your fucking neck out. That's the, that's the thing. You do have to put your neck out once the work has been done. But I encourage you to fucking do that, man. Think about what... You know, I'm not telling you to just fucking stick your neck out dumbly, but if you've done the work and if you know what it's going to take for you to be what you want to be then what is it that you have to do man what is it that you have to do i'll leave you that peace love namaste cheers friends.